episode of Investors and Operators, I sit down with Debbie Ackerman, co-founder of TwinBridge Capital Partners, a Chicago-based private equity firm, which has raised over $2.5 billion since founding in 2005. Debbie is also an impact investor and created Project Sunflower, a network of women in private equity. She also serves on boards, including Thrivent Financial, a Fortune 500 not-for-profit financial services organization. And Debbie, I cannot wait to get into this. Thank you so much for joining today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. My first piece of curiosity. My first question is, last year you ran a 128 half marathon, which is a 647 pace, which is significantly faster than my nine minute pace on my best half. What role has fitness played in your life and your family life? You know, how did you start down this path? Well, my family and I are all really into fitness, uh, especially running and triathlons. My three children have all been D1 runners in college, and I've competed in some national and international cross-country and track meets, and the rest of my family, aside from me, have all done a lot of um, triathlons, including Ironmans. And I guess what I've found in sports is, and in particular in running, uh, it develops some really fantastic characteristics. You know, I think it, it sets you up to have a goal-oriented mindset and really creates a lot of discipline. And those are traits that you can carry into sort of all aspects of your life. Um, the other thing that's been wonderful is really, you know, creating friendships with other people who share similar passion and bonds and, uh, and creating some great family bonding time as well. In, in endurance been like, you know, do you have, for example, a yearly goal with the family that's fitness related or kind of what have you done in your well uh, you know just for me one of the things that helps keep me motivated is to have a different goal every year and so each year I pick a different distance with a specific time goal um, which are usually stretch goals for me so I'm not sure how I'm going to get there and just by way of example some of my recent goals have been a sub 530 mile uh, sub 19 5k and then as you mentioned a sub hour and a half um, half marathon and what's kind of cool with with doing different distances is they all require different training and different speed work and um, that kind of keeps it interesting um, I've also been able to and my family is to compete across different countries and throughout the U.S. and so going to different locations and putting yourself outside of your comfort zone um, you know, trying new things is, is a real source of motivation as well. Why, what, what do you think it is about your nature, your families, and maybe others who do that type of sport that makes us want to pursue challenges? I mean, you could be chilling out in whatever house that you want, whatever boat and not and be skiing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, lifestyle, instead of putting yourself through pain and putting yourself through that type of challenge? Like, why do you do it? And why do you think it's important to do at every stage of our lives? Well, I think for me, and this probably doesn't sound very good, but I just, I have this competitive gene in me that is just constantly wanting to 
be out there competing. And so a part of it is just really getting out there and, um, and seeing how you stack up relative to other people. And I also just can't sit still. So it's a combination of both. <laughs> um, okay, well, speaking of maybe not standing still, uh, on November 6th, 2021, uh, I, I am committed to do an Ironman race in Panama City, Florida. I, I was inspired by the story of Chris Nikich, who is a 20-year-old man, 21-year-old man, and became the first person with Down syndrome to do an Ironman. His story convinced me to push myself significantly harder than I've ever done. I, you know, I've done a couple marathons, but I, I need to be better. Um, so I guess my question is, would you be open to joining the, I guess we'll call it the 51 Labs 2021 Ironman team? Well, that's amazing. I'm really, really impressed with you. What a great goal. Um, my husband and my daughter have both done the Panama City, Florida Beach um, Ironman. So they might be better candidates for you than I am. <laughs> so I do have a really funny story from when my husband did uh, Ironman Florida a couple of years ago. His parents actually have a place in Panama City Beach right along the running route. Um, so right where the run goes. And so he's doing the race and he was probably a little bit undertrained that year. And he gets to their house, which is at about mile 13 in the run. And he comes inside and he sits down on the couch and he said, I'm done, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> and his mom was there and she came right over. She's a really strong woman. And she said, you're getting up and you're going back out there because we don't want your daughters to see you quitting. And so she made him finish finish the race and, and he did, he did fine. And so I guess my suggestion is I'll make sure that I've got my mother-in-law down in PC when you're doing it because she's the best cheerleader ever and she'll make sure you finish. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. Wow. I mean, that, okay, then that's going to my next question, which is like, you know, how can I be a quality father to our four-year-old daughter, our one-year-old son, you know, do you, do you think that you guys have been successful parents and what can I learn? How can I be a better dad? How can we be better parents? That, that's a great question. And I feel really lucky because I do feel blessed to have such wonderful children. Um, my one piece of advice for you would be to develop a strong relationship of trust with your children. Um, you know, trust that they're good people and that they want to do the right thing and give them the benefit of the doubt as often as you can. Um, I think it's almost like a positive circle of reinforcement. You know, trust is really key. That's awesome. I think, um, does that start happening at like 10 and 11 years old? No, right away. All right. Right away. <laughs> Um, well, let's, re let's rewind a little bit and kind of go to, you know, this next chapter of your life um, after spending, you know, 15 years building up a firm and the name that it has in the market. Um, and, and now you have transitioned out and are, you know, pursuing the next chapter. What does that look like for you? And maybe even like, what does success look like in this next chapter? Yeah, the, the next chapter for me is really focused on empowering women to have more of a voice in private equity. Um, the private equity industry is dominated by males. 
and in particular on the senior investment front, um, it's all males. And I think studies would show that companies perform better when they have diversity of thought and leadership positions. And many investors are and public companies are really pushing for additional diversity of thought. And, you know, I look at my contacts and it's 99% of the senior investment professionals are male. And so I've focused on really um, creating this network of women that I call Project Sunflower to co-invest along aside other private equity groups. And, you know, we bring the female perspective to the investment process. We serve as board representatives. We bring our industry expertise uh, to the equation and we you know can serve as mentors for junior members of the private equity firms and or even on the on the company side so um, the real focus is on supporting and empowering women within private equity um, i guess the next question you asked about was sort of what does success look like yeah and um how, how, for example like how many women on board seats or how many co-investments or what are the other metrics to succeed at the end of like 2021, for example? Yeah, I don't have a, excuse me, I don't have a specific number for the end of 2021, but I can tell you we've closed three deals to date. We're in the process of developing a, a nice pipeline of opportunities. Uh, we've introduced the private equity firms that we've partnered with um, to our networks and help them, you know, as they continue to, to create value at the portfolio company level. And really taking this now and adding scale going forward, both um, in terms of working with additional private equity firms, as well as adding more women to the network uh, is really what success looks like going forward. For people who are interested, like who should reach out to you in terms of be a good partner for Project Sunflower, you know, who should reach out to you and what's the best way to maybe, you know, learn more about Project Yeah, Sunflower? great, great question. You know, I, from a private equity firm perspective, it's firms that are interested in bringing the female perspective on board and or that have investors that are encouraging them to do so. I know it's hard to bring on female GPs, the pipeline issues, you know, people talk about all the time, but this is sort of a win-win structure in that we bring the, the perspective to bear and we also invest in deals and so we can point to the, the group can point to efforts and initiatives that they're taking to help in the the, the the issue of gender inequality out there. So private equity firms that are looking to do that can get in touch with me probably through LinkedIn is the best way to approach that. And uh, we've got 20 women in, in the network right now. We're looking to selectively add to that currently. Um, but it's people who are experienced, have 20 plus years of industry experience and have had been, have built a very successful career. When you look about, when you look at the people who have influenced your life, who are some of the mentors that you have had um, male, female, whoever it's been along your career? Yeah, I, you know, I really can't speak to any female mentors that I've had. Um, I would say for me, the, the best mentor in my career was a guy by the name of Russ Swanson. And he was the uh, president and CEO of PPM America, which is where I worked previously. And then he was the CIO of Thrivent Financial. And he was 
instrumental in helping us develop TwinBridge. Um, he's a great person because he comes from a corporate background and yet he's got a real entrepreneurial spirit and mindset. So, you know, fantastic. And more importantly for me is he, you know, kind of always supported me. He was very appreciative of my abilities. And like I said, you know, provided a lot of support uh, across my whole career. And so, you know, I think everybody needs a, a mentor like, like a Russ Swanson as they move forward in their careers. Why is it that you think maybe this might have been when your career was starting, but why do you think that there are not as many female mentors within this industry or are there now and it's now you know, being correctly addressed? I think we're making strides in terms of having uh, more senior women in leadership positions in finance, but it's still there's still a long way to go. Um, it's just, it's just been a field that's been very tough to maintain uh, senior level women. And so we're starting to see, we're starting to see initiatives that are helping, you know, like a project sunflower that are helping to reverse the trend and helping to uh, create initiatives to keep women in senior uh professional roles senior financial professional roles but uh we still have a lot of work to do there jordan why do you think you've been successful what do you think are the key success factors in your career and your life i think it kind of just starts with having a solid foundation uh through education and experience in in finance and you know, maybe tying back in some of the things that we've already talked about are, are really important elements as well. I think, again, having somebody who serves as a strong mentor and really having a mindset of um, setting goals and having the discipline to try and achieve, achieve them. I think those are really key factors of success in particular in this field. It sounds like those are more applicable to everyone. Like everyone would have discipline. Everyone would have, you know, the foundation. Everyone would have, you know, some type of mentor or general guide, but they don't all start firms that have two and a half billion of assets in our management. So there's something different about you. What is it that, I mean, why? Is it just your level of, your level of discipline, your level of competitiveness or is it just that it's at a different level combined or what are some of the things that be a little more specific that has led to this? I think it's just a combination of all the things, maybe, maybe to another degree, but I would also say, I don't think everybody does have those characteristics. I don't think that, uh, you know, everybody does have the same sort of foundation and, or the same sort of goal orientedness and discipline. Um, you know, everybody's got their own traits, but not necessarily those. And so, um, you know, I, I guess I'm not entirely sure, but, but maybe there's a little bit of luck sprinkled in as well. <laughs> um, what are, you know, when you look back at the career, what do you think are some of the most significant choices you have made throughout your life that have put you on this path? 
You know, that's really interesting. I would say that some of my more important choices are probably outside of my career choices and just sort of um, establish who I am as a person. And I would say one of those choices that I made was to um, go on a mission trip to Malawi, Africa a few years back. And I went there for several weeks and taught in the schools, in the community schools with my daughters. And, you know, the experiences stayed with me in a lot of different ways. I think one of the most impactful things that has stuck with me is seeing these people who are in the fourth poorest country in the world um, seem to be happier in general than a lot of us here in the United States are. And you know, it just strikes me, these people are in the fourth poorest country of the world. They have no material position, possessions to speak of. They have uh, to worry about whether they're gonna get their next meal. And yet they've somehow found a way to have some joy in their life. And um, so it was a first a, a, um, in-person, firsthand experience for me in that money really just cannot buy you happiness. And I think some of that does translate back to sort of um, what you do with your career going forward. And that is if you're really just focused on doing it to make money, um, you know, it's not as fulfilling and you may ultimately not be as happy and or as successful. How'd you decide to go to Malawi and do the mission trip? Well, our church happened to have a relationship with this particular community in Malawi. And so they developed the foundation. And um, beyond that, it was just something that that my girls and I thought would be impactful. And we were right. Yeah, it reminds me of a vlog I did with uh, Edward Crawford, and he went down to Dominican Republic. And it was interesting, like he went there with the mentality of serving them, but he realized he was they were serving him. Um, I just I said that backwards, like he would wake up and there's food for him. And he's like, I've come down here basically like I want to help but he realized it was like how these people who had really nothing had that mentality and how happy they were um so it's just a good reminder especially now of like just the need to give back and the need to keep perspective um but maybe if we can rewind all the way back to the very beginning I'm curious about you know when you are doing half marathons you're doing triathlons you know what is your internal dialogue when you hit the wall or you're, you know, you are in a very dark place. Like, how are you getting through that? Well, perfect example is the half marathon last year where I just hadn't run that far in a long time. You know, I'd been training for miles as opposed to do a single mile as opposed to do 13 miles. And so I was in the half marathon last year and I was at about mile 11 and I was on a really good pace. And then I just started, my legs didn't want to go anymore and nothing wanted to go anymore. And uh, the only thing I could think of right then was keep going fast because you don't want to run this far again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was my motivation. <laughs> Do it right the first, this time. I don't have to, yeah, I should have thought, yeah, that's really good advice. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a good example of a, of a hard time that you went through, but, you know, what are some, 
what are, do you think are some of the more difficult times that you have been through in your life and how did you get through them? Um, and maybe how they kind of set you up for the, you know, the person you have become. You know, I think one of the most challenging times that sticks in my mind is I was pretty early on in my career and, um, you know, I was just, just started my job at PPM. I was getting my MBA at night. I just had baby twin daughters and, you know, there just were not enough hours in the day and there were not enough hours in the night in terms of getting sleep. And on top of that, it was a period of really low unemployment. And so it was very hard for us to get and uh, retain a top quality nanny. And so it was a daily challenge to see if the nanny would show up or not. And and so my husband and I would get up, we'd put our suits on, we'd wait and see if the nanny was gonna show up that day. And if not, then we would start negotiating and debating whose day was more important. And um, so it was it was really an ongoing challenge because we kind of felt like we were just burning the candle at, at all ends and not really doing anything very well. And um, you know, I think we kind of just got through that day to day and with the help of some family and some friends. And we kind of said that if we can get through this, then we can get through, you know, just about anything. And I think it kind of goes back to maybe one of the things that we were talking about a little bit before, just in terms of, of creating support. Um, you know, a lot of times people who are really, I'll call it type A or really motivated, think they don't need other people to help them through. And I think it was just a reinforcement that, you know, we all need a network of support um, to be successful in life. That's interesting. It makes me think about the journey my wife and I have been down in, you know, through the 10 years that we've been married. I'm sorry, eight years. Oh, man. <laughs> Hopefully, it's, oh, never mind. It is recorded. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it seems like every difficult time has just made us better and shown a completely different dimension. I'm like, I didn't know you were like that strong. And she's like, well, I didn't know you were that strong. And then, but like you get through that together and it's just incredible how that reveals who we really are or are not. Um, when you kind of take a step back and you look at, you know, the next, you know, five to 10 years, you know, what, what is the impact that you want to have on, you know, your community? And I'll, broadly define your community? You know, I've really focused my efforts on things that really empower women. And so that's why I've created Project Sunflower. I think that the idea is to draw on uh, my relationships that I've developed over the years to leverage my experience and to help that be a platform to uh, get women more involved in this incredible field of private equity where there's so much opportunity, where it's a really exciting place to be. And so I'm really viewing uh, my community, at least in terms of where I'm focusing most of my efforts these next uh, five to 10 years on really empowering women. So it seems like you're very intentional about how you want to spend the next, you know, this next chapter. Are, are there kind of underlying principles that you felt have, you know, been at the forefront of, of your mind as you go throughout your career? Um, you know, I, I would like to say yes, but I think a lot of times you just kind of put your head down and you work hard and you, you know, look at deals and you try and make good investments and you raise capital and you, 
create portfolio reviews and you just sort of do your day-to-day -day job. And I think that for me, I spent a lot of time doing that and maybe didn't spend enough time sort of stepping back and saying, what can I do um, from a broader perspective to help people outside of me and people outside of you know this firm? And so I think that's something that's really become front and center and the top of my my mind over the course of the last couple of years here. And it really has taken taken shape in the form of, of, of focusing on, on what I can do to help women in finance and in particular in private equity. And for my last question, I'll bring in Zach if you are still there and might or might ha not have a kid in, in one arm. Um, yeah, he just woke up. <laughs> but I'm here. Perfect. Time. <laughs> That's why Debbie, Debbie, your uh, story of NBA at night and two kids and negotiating with your husband really resonated with me. <laughs> my, my wife works full time. Uh, we have a one year old that's hell on wheels and absolutely amazing. Oh, um, only one? Uh, yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> uh, definitely not two, which you are almighty and powerful Three. to be able to get through that. Three kids, right? Yeah, but too early on. Two. <laughs> well, you know, I guess my, my, my next question would be, you know, what advice do you have for veterans and anyone mm. in some type of transition, a big transition in our life? You know, it, it seems like sometimes you can feel, and I've been in through my own experience, it feels like you don't know where to go next even though you've accumulated five or 10 years of experience, it feels like you know nothing about the next step. So, you know, what is your advice to transitioning veterans? And I'd love to hear if, you know, do you have any family members who are veterans? Yeah, well, so my brother is, was a fighter pilot in the Navy and uh, he's gone on now to uh, get his MBA and he is now flying for FedEx. As you can imagine, given the circumstances he is in hot demand and busier than ever. Uh, FedEx and uh, other delivery systems are considered pretty essential workers during this time period. Um, so I do have a brother that that fits the bill there. But you know, I thought about this question in the context of women, but I also think it applies to veterans and really just about to anybody. I think that the advice that I would give is really, you know, as you start a career, as you start to transition. Um, develop what I'll call pillars of support. Um, I think it's really easy as smart and motivated people to think that you can, you can work hard and work efficiently and that you'll be successful on your own. And I think that works to a point. And then, you know, as you continue to move up the ranks and as you continue to, you know, want to move on to more things, um, then it's got sort of, uh, it, it's less successful. And so when I say develop pillars, pillars of su support, I mean, you know, things like get a mentor, um, develop friends and families and personal coaches and, and all sorts of pillars around you that will help build you up and provide additional opportunities. And I think that, you know, I look at it again in the context of women, but really the most successful people that I know are people that have their own personal coaches, that have mentors, that you know, in the case of a female, might have other female colleagues that they can turn to with with particular questions, and really just as a sounding board as much as anything. And I wish that I had gotten that sort of advice early on in my career. Uh, I think it would have been really helpful. 
That's huge, Debbie. Thank you so much. Um, and hearing hearing advice from someone with your track record is just invaluable to to people like myself that are that are not only trying to get our foot in the industry, but um, just in that that being versed in that environment. Um, and it's also it's kind of funny, uh, you know. Jordan does a lot with uh, you know interviewing and and organizations that are empowering you know women in, in private equity, which I think is amazing. But it's it's kind of funny because I'm a lot of the stories uh, from women like yourself that have been successful and then want to turn around and give back, especially to women. Um, I've listened to a couple of podcasts where they've actually talked about the same thing. I personally, I know I am the stereotypical, you know, white male, which is in private equity, but having a very different background of being a veteran active duty currently, but transitioning is not your atypical kind of cookie cutter background. So a lot of the advice, a lot of the story uh, behind women trying to get in an industry really resonates with me because it's, it's not this typical, like I said, it's not the atypical background. Um, and so I, I find a lot of value in that as well. I think the industry is large enough now and perhaps is more accommodating to people outside of the sort of traditional little box and actually values it. I mean, it's slow in coming, but I think there's, there's, I, I believe there's diversity uh, there's, there's value and diversity of thought and that includes not just Hugely. gender and, and race, but it also includes in terms of experience base as well. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the broader, the broader industry is, is, is coming to that sort of conclusion too. Hugely. That's interesting because I, I forget the names of the studies, but there was, there's been data out there that shows that diverse boards with more females on the board, more, uh, racially diverse or ethnically diverse, how it leads to better returns. So it's no, it's no longer just the old idea of, okay, we gotta, we have to do this. This looks way too homogenous, but now it's the data backs up that it generates more returns. This is better for the LPs. So now LPs are asking like, you guys need to do things, things differently. Yeah, I think uh, Harvard has done a lot of studies along those lines. And also going back a couple of years, McKinsey has done a number of studies that would support uh, exactly what you just said. This has been awesome. Debbie, thank you so much for taking the time with this. Thank um, you. It's, I, I, I feel very lucky that my day-to-day -day existence is just having fun conversations. Oh, Jordan, you're awesome. I, I appreciate your time with this.